Section 14 of Constructive Conscious Control of the Individual by F. Matthias Alexander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, Chapter 7, Psychophysical Equilibrium. The lack of a satisfactory condition of psychophysical equilibrium in all human activities is one of the most striking manifestations of imperfect functioning of the organism. The present faulty subconscious use of the psychophysical mechanism in our educational and other spheres makes for the gradual increase of this condition of defective equilibrium. It would seem that this fact is generally taken for granted, seeing that we expect defective equilibrium at a certain age, just as we expect the development of a flabby and protruding abdomen. This is surely the end of our contention that practice makes perfect. It also seems evident from this that there must be something wrong with the practice in the act of walking. The fact is that people walk without any clear understanding of the guiding and controlling orders which command the satisfactory coordination and adjustment of the psychophysical mechanism in the act of walking. Hence, when one or more defects become present in the functioning of these mechanisms, even though the persons concerned may be aware of their cause or causes, they are incapable of establishing once more that standard of reliable sensory appreciation which would enable them to eradicate these defects. This needs a process of re-education on a general basis, which will restore satisfactory functioning throughout the organism, and so ensure a continued raising of the standard of psychophysical equilibrium right on through life. In what follows, I shall endeavor to show that with almost every attempt to correct some supposed or real psychophysical imperfection, new defects are developed which tend to lower the standard of psychophysical equilibrium. In this connection, it is an interesting but very unfortunate fact that this unsatisfactory condition develops in the subject hand in hand with the desire to hurry unduly, this being a subconscious endeavor to compensate for the growing lack of equilibrium and lack of control. In extreme cases of lack of equilibrium, this manifestation is most pronounced. The subject becomes conscious first of a weakness or difficulty which affects his general equilibrium in walking, and without making any attempt to discover the cause or causes of this newly recognized weakness or difficulty, proceeds, as he would put it, to try to walk properly, i.e. to walk without the slight unsteadiness of which he is conscious. But the fact that this weakness or difficulty has developed is proof that the subject's guiding sensations and general psychophysical coordinations of the organism are defective. It is therefore obvious that any subconsciously directed efforts on his part to quote-unquote walk properly, i.e. more steadily, will be carried out according to the same defective guiding sensations and imperfectly coordinated mechanisms, and cannot therefore succeed. It must be remembered that during all these quote-unquote trial and error experiences, the fear reflexes are being unduly excited by the fear of falling, and by the general unreliability and uncertainty of the psychophysical processes which are employed during such subconsciously directed efforts. Taking this process as a whole, we shall find that most harmful psychophysical conditions will be developed, which soon manifest themselves in other spheres of psychophysical functioning, and very often culminate at last in some serious crisis. 
It is easy to trace the development of this lack of equilibrium in what is usually considered the purely physical sphere. Let us take by way of illustration the case of a boy who, in the ordinary way, would be classed as a good walker. We will assume that he has been injured at the age of, say, 13 by being thrown from a horse or by a fall downstairs, or has met with some other accident which has necessitated his being treated by a doctor and being confined to his bed for some time. It is obvious that his injury and the cessation of his ordinary activities will produce in the patient a more or less weakened condition generally, and also definite specific difficulties in connection with the injured parts of the organism. The result is that at the psychological moment when the patient makes the first attempt to resume walking, certain impeding factors will manifest themselves which he will immediately proceed to overcome by trying to walk properly as he understands it. His attempt to walk properly must necessarily be on the subconscious plan of trial and error, for it is almost certain that he has never known how he walked, never had the least idea of the guiding orders concerned with the coordinations essential to the act of walking and to the development of satisfactory equilibrium. Footnote. My reader will probably think of the case of some friend who has made an attempt to walk properly after an injury and who is now walking about to his own satisfaction. My point is that the subject is not capable of judging whether his use of his psychophysical mechanisms in walking is satisfactory or not. It is quite certain that anyone with an expert knowledge in this connection could point to certain harmful defects in the subject's use of himself, which are the combined results of the injury, the varied experiences in treatment and recovery, and the attempts to walk, all of which are indicative of comparative weakness, a sense of interference with equilibrium, and a general loss of control. And a footnote. It will be necessary here to analyze the psychophysical processes involved in his effort, for success in such efforts demands quite a high standard of coordinated functioning of the organism. Experience has proved to us that this standard of functioning is not at the command of a person who has been through the experiences connected with such an injury, and with the subsequent treatment and gradual recovery to the point when what we call the convalescent stage has been reached. Real success is practically impossible, and for the reasons which follow. These attempts to walk would be made at a time when the subject was conscious of a weakness throughout the whole organism, of a comparative loss of control, of an interference with the psychophysical equilibrium, of a lack of confidence, together with a whole series of hopes and fears in regard to what he will or will not be able to do, associated again with fears which have their origin in the pain which results from his incorrect subconscious attempts to use parts that have been injured. This whole combination of psychophysical conditions constitutes a set of experiences which are new as compared with those present at the time of the accident. Each subconscious attempt to walk awakens consciousness of shortcomings, of strange and often alarming sensations, and tends to increase the real difficulties, viz. those concerned with that correct use of the psychophysical organism in general, upon which walking properly depends. 
it will thus be clear that the attempt to walk properly by subconscious guidance would merely be an attempt to revert to the habits or habits established in the act of walking before the accident. This way of walking was instinctive, and a particular instinctive process is the result of certain psychophysical conditions operating, as we say, by instinct. Change those conditions quickly, and you interfere with the reliability of the working of the particular instinct. This illustration furnishes us with a splendid practical instance of a definite need calling for new experiences in psychophysical use. The boy wishes to walk. The stimulus to do so produces an immediate response involving the processes concerned with subconscious guidance and control, which are habitual, but which depend for efficiency upon a given standard of coordinated functioning of the organism. Unfortunately, this standard has been lowered by his experiences associated with the accident, and the psychophysical machinery does not work as satisfactorily as before. In fact, in the majority of cases, it works very unsatisfactorily. The subject is able to compare the result of his present efforts with those he made before his injury. They compare very badly, and he is conscious of the fact. This merely causes him to try harder, as he would put it, to walk properly, and on a subconscious basis he has no alternative but to continue the unintelligent method of trial and error. We will now outline the experiences which the procedure, based on the principles of re-education on a conscious general basis, would have ensured in the foregoing case. In the first place, we should not allow the subject to try to walk properly until he had been given, by expert manipulation, correct experiences in the general use of the psychophysical mechanisms, and had become well acquainted with the correct guiding and controlling orders which would assist in the securing of the means whereby he should use the mechanisms in any attempt to walk properly. The recognition of weakness or difficulty would be the signal for an examination of the psychophysical mechanisms involved in the use of the organism as a whole, which in turn would enable us to note the defects and peculiarities in the use of these mechanisms in the specific act of walking. The technique we advocate would demand in practice that the subject would cease to try to improve his walking. We would therefore endeavor to convince him by demonstration that his efforts to improve his walking by muddling through by instinct are not only futile but quite absurd. By the same process, demonstration, he would be shown that as soon as he receives the stimulus to walk, he must begin his remedial work by employing his inhibitory powers to prevent the use of the wrong subconscious guidance and direction associated with his conception of walking. In this connection, it is explained to him that it is the use of the incorrect subconscious guiding orders to the mechanisms concerned with the act of walking, associated with unreliable sensory appreciation, which has caused the mechanisms to be used imperfectly, resulting in the weakness and difficulties with which we are contending. When the subject is more or less familiar with these inhibitory experiences, we go on to give him a knowledge of the new and correct directive and guiding orders, which, with the aid of manipulation, 
are to bring about the satisfactory use of the mechanisms in a sitting, prone, or other position. These experiences must be repeated until the new and reliable sensory appreciation becomes established, by which time there will have taken place an actual change in the use of the psychophysical mechanisms of the organism in general, making for a satisfactory condition of coordination and adjustment. When the required improvement in the general coordinations and adjustments has been secured, the processes we have outlined will be more or less in conscious operation, and a corresponding improvement in equilibrium in walking will be the result. The reader must understand that the details involved in such processes, differing as these do in each case, cannot be set forth here, and that moreover from the very first lessons the teacher's aim would be to cause the pupil to be conscious of what he should and should not do, and to give such help to the pupil as would enable him to begin at once to apply the principles involved not only to his attempts at walking, but more or less to all the acts of his daily life. In other words, the pupil is not taught to perform certain new exercises or to assume new postures for a given time each day, whilst continuing to use his faulty mechanisms and unreliable guiding sensations in his old way during his other activities, but he is shown how he may at once check, more or less, the faulty use of the mechanisms in the general activities of his daily life. An increase in lack of equilibrium in what is called the physical sphere will be found in every case to go hand in hand with a corresponding lack of equilibrium in the so-called mental spheres, and in any consideration of mental and physical phenomena, it must be remembered that in our present stage of evolution on the subconscious plane, the response to any stimulus or stimuli is at least 75% subconscious response chiefly feeling, as against 25% any other response, this estimate of the ratio of subconscious response being probably too low. When these facts are fully realized by all those who are interested in education and in the conduct of life generally, there may be some chance of the realization of those commendable ideals for the uplifting of mankind cherished by leaders in the social, religious, and political spheres. End of section 14.